0: Well, good morning, friends. As Thomas mentioned, my name is Whitney. If I haven't met you yet, I'm glad to be here today. I serve as the Director of Mission here at Covenant. And today, friends, we're continuing on in our series entitled, Rescued. We'll be looking at Exodus 16 today. But before we get into that, I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever been really ready for a next phase in life? Really ready for what's next, longing for that next thing? And then you got there and it was different than what you expected. Maybe it was harder than you thought and you even wished you could go back to the way it was before. Let me give you an example. I spent many years in youth ministry and I saw this happen over and over again with students as they prepared and went to college. They spend their entire senior year longing to be out of the house, so ready to go to school, to get away, to be independent adults. And then they go, and then they come home for fall break. And in my experience, if I could get these students one-on-one and ask, how are you, how's school? Eight out of 10 of them cry. They cry and they because they haven't quite figured out the journey yet, they haven't made their friends yet, they haven't figured out college life, they miss home, they don't like living in a dorm, they miss their bed, they miss their parents. They miss, they miss their food from home, they miss high school. They, they can't go back but they haven't quite figured out what's next and how to journey on this road and so they're just in this weird middle space. This is common in transitional times in life. I experienced this pretty profoundly when I had a baby. Uh, And and my experience is pretty common, um, but I I begged God for a baby. I begged God to make me a mom. God was gracious and allowed me to become pregnant with our now two-year-old Calvin. I had an easy pregnancy. I had an easy delivery, as easy as that process can be. Um, But then we had to come home from the hospital. That was not easy. I was told that newborns sleep all the time not my newborn. He cried all the time. I remember our first night home from the hospital. I was sitting there. It was two in the morning. We were so tired, so tired. Uh, Calvin, our baby, was was screaming. He was crying. I was crying. We were trying to figure out how to feed this baby. It It was exhausting. All I wanted to do was go to bed, and I remember holding our baby, the baby I had begged God for, I remember holding him and looking at Andrew and saying, we've made a terrible mistake. (laughs) I think I also said something along the lines of, we've ruined our lives. (laughs) I was in panic mode. I thought I would never sleep again. I was in total panic mode. I couldn't go back, I thought about it, because I was like, maybe we can take him back to the hospital and ask for one that sleeps all the time. Like I was told, Andrew thought that was a bad idea, so we didn't do that, But, but I was, we couldn't go back, but we hadn't quite figured out this journey yet. We were in this weird middle space. Now just know, we did figure it out. I have an amazing husband who, as I said, we've made a terrible mistake, said, why don't you hand me the baby and you can go lay down. We figured it out. It was a rough couple of months, but we got there, we got there. (laughs) Friends, this middle space I'm talking about, this is where we find Israel today. This is where we find them. They can't go back to Egypt, but they've not quite figured out what this journey looks like. As they've journeyed into it, it does not look like what they expected. And they hit panic mode. If you've got your Bibles, we're gonna be in Exodus 16 today. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted but now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew, and when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance, as fine as frost, blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we pray that as we look at the Israelites' time in the wilderness— that you would teach us what it is you have for us to learn today. Open our hearts and our minds, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's catch up a little bit because we fast forwarded some from last week. Last week we we saw the Israelites get delivered miraculously uh, across the Red Sea. They continued on in their journey and they, they found themselves in a place called Elam. Elam is called an oasis. It has 12 springs and pools, 70 palm trees. The Israelites were able to catch their breath. But then they journeyed on. They left Elam and they headed towards Mount Sinai. The only way to get there was they had to go through the wilderness. As they journeyed deeper and deeper into the wilderness, they began to notice that their supplies were dwindling. And they absolutely panic. God tells Moses, I'm going to provide for you, and then God provides. We could spend all day today talking about Israel's response. And their response was terrible. Their response was unfaithful, they blamed Moses, they longed to go back to Egypt, they totally panicked. If you are ever in an emergency situation, don't do that. It is never helpful to yell out, we're all going to die. But that's what they did! Their response was terrible. But I don't think their response matters. Because the good news is, is that God showed up anyway. And God provided. So we're not gonna focus on Israel's response, we're gonna focus on God's. So what can we learn from their time today in the wilderness? The first lesson from the wilderness I'd like us to consider is this, is the importance of the wilderness itself. We see this all throughout scripture that God uses the wilderness. From from Genesis all the way through to when, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, God uses it to form his people. He uses it to lead his people, to shape, and to mold his people. It's important. It was an inevitable part of their journey. They could not get from Elam to Mount Sinai without crossing through the wilderness. But the good news is, is God used it. And friends, the same is true for you and me. The wilderness is inevitable in our lives. We will all journey into that time where we can't go back, but we have not quite figured out what this journey looks like, All we know to do is to put one foot in front of the other. We will all face it. The good news is, is God uses it. Brene Brown is an author and a researcher on shame and vulnerability, and in her book, Rising Strong, she talks about this. The way she says it is, she says, you can't skip day two. Here's what she means by that. She puts together a three-day training for mental health workers to come and to learn about the research she does around shame and vulnerability. Day one, she says, is always awesome. It's groups of people who are so excited about this work, about their community, have shared passions. They come together from all across the country. Day three is awesome because they've journeyed through this together and by day three, they're ready to go back and to share what it is they've learned with their communities. But day two, she says, is miserable. The reason it's miserable is because this training is around shame and vulnerability. On day two, the participants themselves have to look at their own shame and vulnerability. This inevitably brings up deep, painful emotions, hard stories, trauma, things that are really difficult. And they spend the entire day looking at this together. It's exhausting. But what she says is that you cannot get to the magic of day three without journeying through day two. Listen to how she says it in her book. Day two, or whatever that middle space is for your own process, is when you're in the dark. The door has closed behind you. You're too far in to turn around and not close enough to the end to see the light. In my work with veterans and active members of the military, we've talked about this dark middle. They all know it as the point of no return, an aviation term coined by pilots for the point in the flight when they have too little fuel left to return to the originating airfield. It's strangely universal, going all the way back to Julius Caesar's famous, the die is cast, spoken in 49 BC, as he and his troops made the river crossing that started a war. Whether it's an ancient battle strategy or the creative process, at some point you're in, it's dark, and there's no turning back. What I think is the hardest part about day two is it's a non-negotiable part of the process. Experience and success don't give you easy passage through the middle space of struggle. They only grant you a little grace, the grace that whispers, this is part of the process, stay the course. Experience doesn't create even a single spark of light in the darkness of middle space. It only instills in you a little bit of faith in your ability to navigate the dark. The middle is messy, but it's also where the magic happens. What a great reminder to us that we will walk in the wilderness, but that God uses it. We can't skip it, but God uses it. The second thing I'd like for us to consider, the second lesson from the wilderness is this, is that God shows up. We've seen it throughout this series. God showed up in Egypt. God showed up in Midian. God showed up in the Red Sea and he shows up in the wilderness. The best part of this story is that it's not dependent on Israel's response. Their response was filled with doubt, panic, fear, and God shows up in the midst of that. Oh, that's good news. As I considered my own experience of walking through what Brene Brown calls the dark middle, I recounted two specific times that really stuck out to me. Miscarriage is pregnancy loss that happens in the first 20 weeks of pregnancy. One in four pregnancies ends in miscarriage. It's wildly common, we just don't talk about it. I've experienced this twice, uh, once in 2015, and then once just this last spring. Both times were, uh, the dark middle was really a great description of those times. Each time I went to the doctor uh, because something didn't feel right, and sure enough, there was no heartbeat in my young pregnancy, both times. The thing is is that they don't tell you what's next, they don't tell you how to fix it, there's no "Here's, here's the plan, or here's how we take care of this, They send you home. They sent me home both times for a week to act normal, because there was a chance that maybe I wasn't quite as far along in my pregnancy as we thought, and so maybe it was just too early to see the heartbeat, but I knew that wasn't right. Or or maybe my hormones would pick up, and, and the next week we'd see that little flicker of a heartbeat. Either way, you're sent home to act normal. Talk about a dark middle. I remember feeling um, sad, um, feeling anxious, feeling hopeful, but I didn't want to feel too much hope because I didn't want to be too disappointed. Um, I remember feeling embarrassed. I told people I was pregnant, and now I didn't know if my body was gonna do the right thing. I I remember feeling um, ashamed. I thought maybe it was my fault that I'd done something wrong. I was angry. I was angry because some of my best friends were pregnant and they, they didn't experience this. Talk about a dark middle. In the passage we just read, Brene Brown says that, that it's in this dark space that the magic happens. I don't think she means that, that God just fixes it, right? He didn't do that for the Israelites. He didn't just fast forward them to the promised land. The journey was really important for them. The magic is that God showed up journeyed with them. The same is true for me. God didn't just show up and automatically revive the lives I carried inside of me. I went to the doctor and there was no heartbeat, and I experienced miscarriage both times. The magic is that I did not journey through that dark space alone. God showed up. He showed up in my community who came over to my house and, and brought us food who called, who texted, who watched Calvin so that that I could rest. God showed up in our community. The women that came out and said, oh, sweetie, me too. God showed up in our community, but more than that, God showed up so profoundly close to me, speaking over me that he had knit me together perfectly, that he had made me perfectly, that this wasn't my fault. And more than that, that he had knit together the little lives I carried perfectly perfectly that I could trust him with these little lives. Speaking over me the phrase, in life and in death, we belong to God. The magic is that we do not journey alone. Y'all, that's really good news. The third lesson I'd like for us to consider today is this, is not only does God show up, but he provides for our needs. The quail and the manna were exactly what Israel needed. As they were recalling their time in in Egypt, they said, oh, we sat around pots of meat and we had all the bread we wanted. Manna wasn't the bread they wanted. They had no idea what it was when they saw it. It was not the bread they wanted, but it was most certainly the bread they needed. It met all of their, their nutritional needs. It showed up every day just enough was exactly what they needed. As we consider our time in the wilderness, may we be reminded that God shows up and provides us what we need. It may not be what you want, but it will always be exactly what you need. And the best part of all of this, this entire passage, is how beautifully it points us to Jesus. That he quite literally showed up, that he was called Emmanuel, God with us, That that the way the message says it is he put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus showed up. That Jesus journeyed into the wilderness, this dark middle is no stranger to him. Ours is not a God that sits back and says, ooh, you're in the wilderness, good luck. Ours is a God that says, dear one, I will walk with you each step of the way and your doubt and your fear and your sorrow I am with you, and when you cannot walk, I will carry you. That Jesus said that he is the bread of life, that he satisfies all our needs. Our need for peace and our need for faith, our need for mercy and grace and hope. He fills those needs, giving us everything we need for life and godliness. As we journey Further into 2020, acknowledging that likely we will have a season of walking through the wilderness, may we remember the importance of the wilderness, that God uses it, that God faithfully shows up in the wilderness. It's not dependent on us, and that he provides for our needs. Friends, that's really good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, come to you today grateful. Lord, so grateful for your provision in the dark middle. God, if we're journeying in that right now, we ask that you would remind us of the good things that you show up, that you provide. Thank you that you are always with us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.